Chapter Eleven of Eight Girls and a Dog by Caroline Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A successful performance. The great day drew near. The play was to be presented on Friday evening, and much was to be done by way of preparation. Uncle Ned and two carpenters were building a stage in the parlor, which, though small, was a jolly little affair and aunt molly who was a bit of an artist was painting some crude but effective scenery betty was supposed to be helping uncle ned and marjorie and millicent were trying to help the scenic artist but if their assistance wasn't very valuable they at least knew enough not to hinder the head workers jessie and marguerite were devising stunning costumes and strange-looking properties the use of which no one could guess these two modists were continually making pilgrimages to the shops of long beach which emporiums never by any chance yielded up the materials the anxious maidens were in search of going to the store again asked marjorie as marguerite flew by her with an anxious face yes we must have some red stuff if i have to use paper take timmy lou won't you he hasn't had a run to-day course i will come on tim and the chaperon flew away, followed by the silver-blue sky. After an hour or more, the yellow-haired chaperon returned, in a state of exhaustion. "'I'll never take that dog out with me again,' she declared, with such a tragic air that Marjorie felt certain her pet must have brought disgrace upon the whole club. "'Why, what has my bad little bundle of a dog been a-doing?' she inquired, grabbing up the quivering bunch of silver curls and blue ribbon. "'He wasn't bad,' said Marguerite, laughing. "'But he's such a nuisance. I thought I should never get home. He made me go into every shop in the village.' "'That didn't take very long,' observed Betty dryly. "'No, but he insisted on being fed at each place. And he knows exactly where they all keep their eatables.' At the grocer's, he flew to the glass case where the chocolates are, and pawed at it and whined until Mr. Forbes had to open it and give him some. Then at the milliner's, where I was buying ribbon, he tore out into her back parlor and jumped up on a table, trying to reach a little chest of drawers, where, it seems, she keeps sugar lumps. And even at the dry-goods shop, he dived behind a lot of rolls of stuff and found a paper bag of ginger cookies. Oh, he's a terror. How does he know all these places? He smells them out, said Marjorie, patting Tim's head, while the dog, understanding that he was being praised, wagged his bit of a tail and blinked his eyes proudly. And when he had found the things, continued Marguerite, he never offered to touch them, but just sat up and begged with that cocky blue bow sticking up behind and of course nobody could refuse him i should think not cried marjorie hugging her treasure of course nobody should refuse a bit of chocolate or sugar to such a polite refined well-bred little doggykins who always keeps his bow at the back of his neck and tim fairly glowed at her fond appreciation although for several days hilarity hall was in the most chaotic state of preparation and although it seemed as if order never would come of it yet on friday evening at seven o'clock everything was in complete readiness 
Helen's banjo music was augmented by the two Hillis boys, Frank and Raymond, one of whom played the banjo and the other the mandolin. They were nice boys, and when Aunt Molly invited them to play for the Hilarity Hall girls, they were more than pleased. The girls liked it too, especially Marguerite and Jessie, who immediately assumed the coy and bewitching airs which they thought the occasion demanded. "'But why so many chairs?' asked Marjorie, as Uncle Ned brought over more and more from his own cottage, and Aunt Molly placed them in compact rows in the parlor. "'Don't ask questions, miss,' said her uncle. "'You left the invitation of an audience to your charming and capable aunt, and now tis yours not to make reply, yours not to wonder why, but run along and don that fetching costume in which you are to dazzle the eyes of the large and imposing audience. Imposed on audience, you mean, Uncle Ned, said Marjorie, as she danced away. The Blue Ribbon Club had a uniform, which they had concluded to wear in their play. It was a plain gown of soft, light gray material, with a ruffled white muslin kerchief, a picturesque effect was gained by a hooded cape of gray lined with pink. Marguerite declared that Aunt Molly was an honorary member of the club, and she must have a uniform too. So one was made for her, and the nine ladies made a pretty picture in the nun-like garb. At last all was in readiness, and the audience was beginning to arrive. From behind the curtain the girls could hear the rustling of the programs, and hearty laughter from the appreciative readers. The programs were the work of Betty and Hester, and were declared by all to be a triumph of genius. Here is a copy of one. Annual Engagement of the Hilarity Hall Opera Company Presenting a new and original musical farce entitled Hilarity Hall First production at any stage of this popular operetta Libretto by the Blue Ribbon Club Music by Sir Arthur Sullivan and others. Interpreted by the following. Phenomenal cast. The only company authorized to present this opera. The chaperone, matron, and general guardian, Miss Marguerite Alden. The poet, whose rhyme is even worse than her reason, Miss Anna Kellogg. The camera fiend, a taking young lady, Miss Hester Lavendreck. The scullery maid, a shining success. Miss Jessica Carroll. The lamplighter with wicked ways. Miss Millicent Payne. The wandering minstrel, who wanders in her mind. Miss Helen Morris. The peeler, who plays the skin game. Miss Elizabeth Miller. The cook, winner of the blue ribbon. Miss Marjorie Bond. Robin Steele, an amiable burglar. Mr. Edward Warburton. Advisory Board, Mrs. Edward Warburton. Notice, in case of fire, escape may be made by any door or window. Notice, explanatory diagrams of the principal jokes will be supplied by the ushers free of charge. Patrons of this theater will confer a favor on the management by reporting any inattention on the part of the employees or the audience. Tickets picked up on the sidewalk are worthless, and will not be received at the door. The management begs respectively to call the attention of the audience 
to the unique electric lighting defects the piano used on this occasion doesn't seem to be here as the curtain began to rise the audience gave way to wild and enthusiastic applause more boisterous indeed than might have been expected from the sedate and decorous friends whom aunt molly had invited but the curtain was not fairly up before the flustered girls on the stage perceived the reason of this outburst the front row of chairs was entirely occupied by the middleton boys whose presence they had so insistently forbidden there were marjorie's two brothers and nan's one there were two burley boys ted lewis dick morton and roger hale with faces on a broad grin they proceeded to make both manual and vociferous protestations of delight until the opening chorus began this did not entirely silence the happy ones in the front row no the airs of the operetta being familiar to them the boys joined their strong young voices to those of the prima donnas on the stage and the result was truly fine the play went on beautifully marguerite looked so pretty and sang so well that she perhaps received the most applause among the girls but uncle ned was so funny as the amiable burglar and introduced such funny jokes and antics into his part that he was by all odds the star of the evening betty forgot her part several times but being quick-witted she extemporized bits that were better than her original lines helen proved to be the best actress and her sleep-walking scene was so effective that she was advised to study for lady macbeth jessie was stage-struck her round rosy little face grew pale her blue eyes stared and her voice failed her entirely less embarrassed than dazed she walked to a chair at one end of the stage sat down calmly folding her arms this delighted the audience who greatly applauded the bewildered actress in the second act the girls all wore frilled white tarlatan dresses with sashes and bows of pale green ribbon the scene was a flowery garden and it was most attractive with a rose hedge at the back and palms of flowering bushes all about to be sure the roses were made of pink tissue paper but they were very effective and the group of lovely girls were slowly waving feather fans in time to a slow soft chorus waft waft in slow sweet cadences each fan whose use a maiden's is more worthy praise in summer days than needle spoon or pen touch lightly each resounding string o wandering minstrel while we sing of hearts by fate made desolate and of the now and then waft waft in slow sweet cadence each fan whose use a maiden's is ah cried the boys in concert as the chorus concluded ah 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 but though they were in a teasing mood they were careful not to disturb the play seriously and the merry farce came successfully to a finish the boys merriment broke loose they swarmed up on to the stage they kissed the girls who were their sisters or cousins and shook hands vigorously with those who were not they greeted uncle ned and aunt molly effusively for was it not owing to them that this joyful treat was brought about indeed you never saw such gay irrepressible spirits as those middleton guests were 
when they adjourned to the dining-room the feast committee found that their provision had been amply supplemented and the rose-garland tarleton frocked ladies found that historic laurels in no way affected their appetites when did you come asked marjorie of jack kellogg you know i told you you positively couldn't marjorie had on her duchess air but jack being a brave youth was not afraid of her i know he replied but your aunt molly said we positively could and so we're here and what do you think of this we're staying at long beach and we're not going home until tomorrow night End of chapter 11